0: This is the InFocus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to another edition of the InFocus podcast. I'm your host, Jee Sampath. A five-judge constitution bench of the Supreme Court on Thursday unanimously struck down the center's electoral bond scheme. Electoral bonds enabled anonymous political donations which the Supreme Court has termed as, quote-unquote, unconstitutional. It has stated categorically that the scheme violates the right to information under Article 19 a of the Constitution. In this episode of InFocus, we take a close look at the Supreme Court verdict and what it means for Indian democracy going forward. We have with us Jagdeep S. Chokar from the Association for Democratic Reforms that works in the field of electoral and political reforms. It should be mentioned that ADR is one of the original petitioners who challenged the constitutionality of the electoral bond scheme in a PIL in 2017. Mr. Choker, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So, to start with, I was wondering if you can give us a quick overview of the reasons uh, and the reasoning of the Supreme Court in striking down the electoral bonds scheme. Uh, yeah,
1: the reasoning is fairly complex given the nature of the case. But the Supreme Court brought out two specific reasons why they struck it down. The first was that it uh, disturbed the so-called level playing field during the elections. The reason for disturbance of the level playing field was that the scheme, as we had uh, been saying from actually day one or day two of when it was announced, was that the scheme had the potential of the ruling party, regardless of which party was the ruling party, uh, the ruling party had the potential of choking the funding of all opposition parties. And if all political parties do not have uh, equal and unfettered access to money, uh, then obviously the level playing field gets disturbed. So, disturbance of the level playing field, which is considered to be a necessary part of a free and fair electoral process, was the first reason. The second reason was that it violated the voters' right to information about political parties. Uh, as a matter of fact, this again became a little convoluted because in the court, in one of the hearings, not during the last three-day hearing, but one of the earlier hearings, The Attorney General actually ended up saying that why should voters want to know where political parties get their money from? They should be interested in knowing where the candidates get their money from. And I happened to be present in the court that day and when he said this that why should voters want to know where do political parties get their money from? There was actually a kind of a stunned silence in the courtroom. People wondering that what on earth has the Attorney General said? But the court in the judgment has clarified that voters have a, you know, what uh, the right to vote is now more or less a fundamental right. And to exercise the right to vote, voters have a right to know about the financial background of the candidates, obviously, but also about where do political parties get their money from. And violation of this fundamental right, which fell under uh, Article 191A of the Constitution. Was the other reason why the Supreme Court struck down the the scheme? These were the two main reasons, but there are many other smaller and technical and legal details which I don't think we need to go into it right now.
0: Right. One more uh, big uh, aspect, uh, Mr. Stoker, which I thought you could comment on, which is that earlier, I think before the electoral bond scheme, there was a cap on uh, how much companies or corporates could uh, donate. The seven point five percent of three years, the average profit, and so on, and that was changed to kind of an unlimited amount of contributions. And I think the money power for, of the corporates influencing the government uh, in a quid pro quo. I think that was one of the central arguments. Can you please comment on that aspect?
1: That is very interesting that you bring it up. Yes, it is. It is an extremely important part of the uh, uh, reasoning that the court has given uh, before the amendment of the Companies Act as a part of the electoral bond scheme uh, there was a limit of limit that no company could donate more than 7.5% of its average profits for the last 3 years to any political party and also in addition the company had to declare which party have they given how much amount to now as a part of the amendment of the companies act both these requirements were removed The essence of the amendment was that a company can give any amount of money to any political party, number one. And this, if you expand this, a company can give any amount to any political party. It means that even if a company is loss-making, it can still give to political parties as much money as it wants. The Supreme Court has come down very heavily on this and it has said that not making a distinction between loss making companies and profit making companies, absolutely kind of, uh, I would go on to use the word, but absolutely stupid. But the court did use that word, they used the more polite word. So they said that this limit of 7.5% must stay. And therefore, that amendment to the Companies Act has been shut down as unconstitutional. And therefore, now companies will not be able to give more than 7.5% of their average profits for the last three years. And they will have to declare which company have they given how much amount to. Uh, This is very important in terms of uh, corporate funding of elections. Actually, when we come to this issue, the other uh, thing that this amendment uh, and related amendment caused was that any company, when we say any company could give any amount of money to any political parties, any company given the corresponding amendments to the FCRA Foreign Currency Regulation Account uh, Regulation Act, it meant that a subsidiary of a foreign company in India, even if that subsidiary is not making any profits, could give do, could donate any amount of money to any political parties. The upshot would have been that a foreign company would open a subsidiary in the the country, which would be just like a shell company, and the foreign company through this shell subsidiary company could keep giving as much money as it wanted to political parties. And this would have opened the floodgate of influence of foreign money, whether that is uh, drug money, whether that is illegal arms trade money, whatever that money may be, we would have made its way to the political system in the country, thereby actually exposing national security. Uh, This was part of the argument, although I don't think it found uh, place in the judgment, but this amendment to Companies Act had very wide-ranging implications, and uh, I am grateful that the Supreme Court has struck it down.
0: Right. I mean, uh, thank you for mentioning that, Mr. Rukh, because I was going to ask you about it anyway. I mean, these I mean, these are uh, times when so many democracies, the US, Canada, the UK, they all have controversies. We have seen about foreign interference in their elections. And here, I mean, we have an electoral bond scheme where, as you rightly explained, it is very easy for foreign entities. It could be foreign corporates. It could be anybody who could uh, use their money power to influence uh, government policy in India. It's like a very brazen kind of interference, foreign interference, which is very ironic considering the amount of lengths to which uh, the state has been going to clamp down on foreign money in the social sector. Anyway, that's a separate uh, issue. And one last uh, point regarding this uh, scheme before we move on to other implications, which is uh, the fact that you mentioned that the ruling party has a disproportionate uh, influence on on contributions coming and it, it controls most of it. Uh, is that to do with the fact that only the ruling party can know who the donors are? Is that an angle uh, that you want to talk about a bit?
1: Yes. Uh, you know, the scheme as it was formulated and notified said that uh, the State Bank of India would be the only bank which could issue electoral bonds so there was a there was a centralization or a monopolization there and it said that the state bank of india will collect kyc you know know your customer particulars of everyone who buys an electoral bond and then the scheme said that state bank would not share this information with anybody at all unless of course there was a court order to do so now to say that just because state bank has been uh, tasked not to share this information with anybody, to say that the state bank would not even share this information with the government of the day through RBI and uh, the finance ministry, etc. is unbelievable. And therefore, whatever the state bank knew, it uh, can be very easily presumed and very confidently presumed that the finance ministry would know and the finance minister would know and therefore a member of the ruling party will know. Now, we had this apprehension right from, uh, as I said, day two after the announcement of the scheme. uh, And I used to jocularly mention to people, and in some of my discussions I've done that, that if you buy an electoral bond from the Parliament Street, State Bank of India in New Delhi, and then you start driving your car towards the what is called uh, Dadpat, where the Congress has its office, so, the, the story goes that if you are on the first traffic circle, you will get a phone call saying, Oh, I believe Mr. Sampath, you have bought an electoral bond worth 100 rupees. And Mr. Sampath, being a wise man, would turn his car towards the Ashoka Road where the BJP has its head office or the Diyalupadhyay Marg where it has its head office now. So, the there was a clear potential of for the ruling party to get to know the purchase of every single electoral bond. And what the ruling party would do with this information is open to anybody. And uh, my guess would be that they would ask the buyer about having bought the bond and the buyer would get a message and it would be delivered to the ruling party. So therefore, the ruling party, and let me stress here, although I've said it earlier, regardless of which party was the ruling party, would have this potential that they could stop funding to all opposition parties. And this came to be true when the data for the first tranche of electoral bonds in the year 2018 came out. In that year, something like 215 crores of electoral bonds were bought and about 200 200 crores went to the BJP. And about uh, 10 crores went to the Congress and 5% went to the other parties. So more than 90% of the electoral bonds purchased in the first year went to the ruling party. Subsequently, this percentage came down to about 60-65%. But it still remained an overwhelmingly large percentage that 60-65% to one party and uh, 35-40% to all other opposition parties. So, this apprehension was proved correct by the data that was reported by parties themselves to the Election Commission of India.
0: Right. Now, uh, Mr. Shokar uh, looking at what's what's uh, in store going forward, now the Supreme Court has directed the State Bank of India, uh, no, the only uh, bank which was allowed to make this bond, issue these bonds, it has, uh, it has directed the State Bank of India to make a full disclosure to the Election Commission of uh, who are the donors, how much they gave to which political parties, etc. All the details starting from April 12, 2019. Now, I mean, there is some technical reason they have given saying that there was an interim order passed, etc. etc. But what about the contributions received from the start of the scheme in March 2018 up to April 2019? Shouldn't those also be made public? What is the logic in discounting these contributions?
1: Yeah, the technical reason that you mentioned is that On April 12, 2019, there was an interim order by the Supreme Court, which was the first significant or first substantial hearing that was held after the filing of the petition. In that order, the bench at that time, which was a three-judge bench, said that the the petition raises, and I'm quoting, uh, the petition raises weighty issues which have the potential of uh, influencing the entire democratic system in the country. End of quote. And after saying that it raises weighty issues, it said that the we or uh, direct the Election Commission of India to collect from political parties all elector all uh, donations received through electoral bonds since the initiation of the scheme in sealed covers. Now this order was actually. Defective in a way that technically a political party could write to the Election Commission that we don't know how much electoral who has given us electoral bonds because under the scheme the party need not know or should not know the name of the donor. But those uh, sealed covers are lying with the Election Commission. Nobody knows what is contained in them. But I would imagine that election commission would now collect information from the state bank, because state bank is the source which has all that information. That information uh, prior to April 12, 2019 will also come out uh, one way or another. I think the the order has a little uh, confusion here. Uh, It is assumed that that information is available, but it may not be available depending on what what is found in those sealed covers. Election Commission has not opened them so far. So I think that would be sorted out when the judgment gets implemented.
0: So you are saying that uh, regardless of what the uh, yesterday's uh, verdict or ruling says, the information about all the bonds which were issued i mean state bank of india obviously knows has all the details right with the yes case, yes, yes yes so it should yes. do you think it will come out from 2018 to april 2019 as well it, it has to come out if the state bank does not give it
1: then uh, i am sure we will also get it followed up through the court right i mean the the intention of the judgment is absolutely clear right and if, if the, if the State Bank of India does not follow the spirit of the judgment and it follows the letter of the judgment, then it will have, we will have to get a clarificatory order from the court again. Right. Which I don't think would be difficult to get.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, what if the, see, the, the, the deadline given to the State Bank of India is March 13th by which they have to uh, put out all the details in the public domain. But what if, let us say, some people are speculating that the State Bank of India may ask for more time so that the names don't come out before the Lok Sabha polls. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like a conspiracy theory. But is that a possibility? And if it were to happen, what is the remedy?
1: You see, first of all, how can the State Bank say that they need time? Because all this information is available with the State Bank of India. I mean, at, in this day and age, Nobody would believe that this information will take time to be compiled. I am confident that this information is available in their uh, data system. All it needs is, you know, a couple of clicks to organize it and send it to the election commission. I mean, if they ask for more time, I am sure that application will have to go to the court and we will also argue in court. I mean, state bank seeking more time sounds fairly ludicrous, but in case that were to happen, my guess is or my hope is that the court will not give them more time. Number two, even if the court gives them time, they cannot take indefinite time. So we will see when it comes. It will have to be, if the state bank of India tries to drag its feet, then I guess court will have to intervene and we will request the
0: court to intervene. Right. Now going back to uh, the other uh, big side of this debate, Mr. why we have so far looked at the legal side of it. Now the political and the democratic uh, uh, dimension here. Now we have the electoral bond scheme which has been declared as unconstitutional right from the beginning you know if i mean by the data which is available of approximately almost 10000 crores of this uh, unconstitutional campaign funds have shaped the outcome of india's elections over 6 years you know and these are not just unconstitutional funds they are like possibly laundered money black money foreign money now they have been at work for 6 years so what happened how do we view the the outcome of of what has been basically unjust elections for six years. Is there no way to address uh, this aspect? Could this validity of these electoral bond schemes have been decided a little earlier? Could the issuance of these bonds have been stayed? Like, How do we view these elections of the last six years, which have been shaped by these unfair and uh, manifestly unjust bonds?
1: You see, this is a very, very tricky and complicated issue i have been, I have given it some thought because since yesterday these questions have been raised. You know the question legally would come as to how does in in legal terms, as you well know, how does one prove a nexus between money gotten through electoral bonds and money spent in the election? The purpose of the electoral bond scheme was for elections. But as it was also been argued in court, that this money has also been used by political parties to run the parties for their establishment expenses. And yesterday I heard somebody on television saying that uh, one particular party has been building fancy offices all over the country in every state, and the electoral bond money may have gone into building those offices. Now, proving the nexus of the electoral bond money with the Election victory is a very complex and uh, difficult issue to, to speculate on. And unless that is done, I think it will be difficult to challenge the authenticity of the elections. On the other hand, you are right that had, it, had the scheme been stayed when we first filed the petition and we had also filed, a, we had filed actually not one but several applications for stay in the the interim period, all of which were denied, if the scheme had been stayed or if the judgment had been given earlier and had the judgment been what it is. So, given all these ifs, I can imagine that the damage that has been done would not have been done. But at the same time, as somebody has written, I believe, in in an article yesterday, uh, it is uh, too little, too late. But at the same time, the person has also written uh, better late than never. So we could have uh, prevented the damage had we acted earlier. And by we, I mean the Supreme Court, uh, which is, of course, very presumptuous to me. Had the Supreme Court acted earlier, Uh, the damage could have been prevented but i guess they have their own compulsions or whatever whatever has been done will at least prevent any damage being done going forward
0: right Uh, mr you spoke about the difficulty in establishing a nexus between these funds and electoral outcomes etc but what about the nexus uh, between uh, the donors and the kind of uh, policy uh, measures and whatever licensing decisions which may have happened i mean you, i mean theoretically it should be possible to establish a nexus once we have all those details of uh, who donated how much to whom in the public domain uh, is it not
1: well that that is an open question that is why the data which is going to be hopefully released by 15th of march will be very very valuable and then, depending on the that data which is revealed uh, and the decisions taken by the government and the policies made by the government, uh, then one would have to look for patterns and relationships and then come to some inferences uh, depending on that. That is a very open question. It is quite possible. I don't deny that at all. I think it is quite likely.
0: Right and uh, some analysts I mean, you spoke earlier about how uh, under the electoral bond scheme the ruling party regardless of which party is the ruling party has a chokehold on on funding uh, from from the donors now some analysts believe that uh, even after ending the electoral bond scheme it wouldn't really make a uh, much difference to this pattern of ruling party getting the lion's share because uh, most of the donations are made in cash And the only difference the ending of this scheme is going to make is in terms of transparency. Uh, What are your thoughts on this uh, question? Uh, My thoughts are exactly
1: the same. And I have been saying since yesterday to, to whoever would listen that electoral bond scheme was not the only source of funds for political parties. And the second statement is that our electoral system and the electoral financing system was not outstanding pre-2017. There were many problems. Even We ourselves have been working on these since 1999. So it is not that the problem with electoral financing started in 2017 with electoral bonds. What happened was that the existing scenario, which was pretty dismal, was made much more dismal and uh, a legal cloak or a legal route was provided for giving sort of uh, perhaps questionable money to political parties. Now, this additional damage that was being done since 2017 has now been removed. And we go back to the original system or pre-2017 system, which was not good. It will not be good and we have to continue to make it better. But this additional impediment in transparency, which electoral bonds have brought in, has been removed. So I agree, even when the electoral bonds were on, I mean, if anybody tells me political party was not taking money in cash, I would not believe that person. So cash was being used even during the electoral bond scheme being in operation. And it will continue to be used. We have to continue to work on it.
0: Right. So, 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 in that case, so you do agree that uh, the ruling party will uh, continue to receive a disproportionate share of the funds. They used to receive it earlier also. Right. In right. this case, two things had
1: happened. One, giving money to ruling parties had been provided a legal cover. That legal cover has been removed in the the, the earlier system. If somebody gave cash to a political party and if that transaction was uh, captured and caught, it would be considered a crime. Whereas under electoral bonds, that crime had been made legal. That is one. In the earlier system, the ruling party did not have Additional and specific information through which to choke funding to other political parties. That additional information will now not be there. Every party will have the same information, whether rightly or wrongly, depending on their political clout. There will be no legal, additional legal advantage to the ruling party.
0: Right. I mean, listening to you explain this, Mr. Joker, it's really uh, breathtaking, you know, the, the, the beauty of uh, how this entire, uh, criminal, uh, process has been given a legal cloak. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. One last question before I let you go. So uh, given the fact that you, you are, uh, sort of saying that even, uh, without the electoral bond scheme, there are so many issues with political funding in India. So, is, uh, is is state funding or public funding of elections like they have in some of the European countries, is, do you think it's a, it's a viable option at all in India?
1: <laughs> this is a very standard question and I'm glad you said state funding or political funding. I have been arguing for the last 4-5 years that calling it state funding is a misnomer because unfortunately we have a tendency in India that people say anything that the government does is free and government money is free. Government money is people's money. So therefore, if we call it public funding, it is my hope that people will realize that it is their money which is going to be given to political parties and candidates under the garb under the garb of state funding. So it is if people realize that it is their own money that is being given, I think their reaction will be slightly different. This is one the secondly, Philosophically speaking, public funding of elections is a very sound idea. I have no qualms and I think it is a good idea. But the question arises, how does one implement it? Now, there are two issues. Number one, when, let us say, public money is given to political parties for running themselves and for fighting elections and so on. Now... Will we allow or will political parties be allowed to collect money from other sources also? This is a very tricky issue. If political parties are given public money, I would insist that they do not collect money from any other source. Otherwise, it would be like throwing good money after bad money. I mean, if you tell, uh, you know, I'm sorry to say it this way publicly because people may take offense. If you ask a customs and excise person or a police person, etc., that we will increase your salary five times, but you stop taking bribes, is that likely to happen?
0: Right. What about other countries which have public financing? Are political parties allowed?
1: No, no, no. Uh, no, no. I was asking you a rhetorical question, and hmm. let me then pursue. If you stop somebody's uh, increase somebody's salary and ask them to stop taking bribe, it is not likely to happen and political parties are not likely to agree not to take any other money if they are given public money. Number one, number two, let us say we decide and they agree now how how do we plan for this? How much money do we budget for giving to political parties for conducting elections? a uh, normal system of budgeting that I have seen in the government and elsewhere is that you decide, you you figure out how much money was spent on this activity in the previous year. In this case, it will be previous election. How do we get to know what was the money spent in the previous election? Does anybody know how much money was spent in the last election? There was an estimate made by the Centre for BTS Studies that it was about 60,000 crores. If you read the report of the... Center of Media Studies, which I have done, there are about 35-40 issues that they say they have not included in this assessment. The point I am trying to make is that only political parties know how much is spent in the election. And I would bet my life to say that they are not going to tell anybody how much do they spend. And unless we know that, how do we budget for this? now because of these two reasons one accepting non public money in addition to public money and not sharing what exactly did they spend i think public money or public funding of elections is practically not possible although theoretically uh, it is a very good idea i agree. right i mean it's a, it's
0: it's a it's a very complex issue uh, and uh, we'll have to probably uh, Go at it step by step. I think first make sure that every single penny is is accounted for in a pumpkin of a paper trail. And once you get an idea through that measure, how much money is being spent by each political party and then maybe uh, we can go to the next stage. Because once I think as long as uh, there is an opportunity for a political party to accept extra donations beyond what say the public financing is giving them in a way that it's not uh, visible to the public then i think they will i think once it's visible that they are getting so much extra i think then it might be easier to track it and then impose a cap
1: that visibility mr sampath i respectfully submit is impossible under the current scenario <laughs>
0: okay <laughs> right thank you so much mr Joker. we're running we're run out of time it was an absolute pleasure talking to you i think it was as you said a little late but better late than never, and I think we will hopefully see uh, the positive impact of this uh, historic uh, development, judgment from the Supreme Court. The,
1: the label, uh, too little too late and better late than never, is be, is used by Parajoy Guathakurda in one of his pieces that he wrote yesterday, it is not mine.
0: Okay, 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 right. Yes, I'm glad it's on record as well. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Yeah, okay. Okay, thank you. Bye.